That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Ramier listening to That Sober Guy podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. If you're looking to quit or cut back on your drinking, we have one of the best 30-day alcohol-free challenges out there. It's helped hundreds of men all over the country quit drinking alcohol. Sign up today. You can check out all of our other podcasts and resources by going to thatsoberguy.com. Please give us a follow on Instagram at thatsoberguypodcast. All the links from today's show will be in the show notes. So they're very easy for you to find. Shout out to Humans Music. Always digging the intro. Our guest today is Ray Trapani, and Ray is the co-founder of Centratech and Miami Exotics. He's also the main character uh, in a recent Netflix documentary by director Brian Storkel titled Bitcond. Now, Bitcond is about the Centratech crypto scam by Ray and his partners. Uh, In the true crime documentary, Ray and his business partners exploit the early cryptocurrency market to scam millions of dollars from investors and bankroll lavish lifestyles. And uh, you might go, cool, that sounds interesting, but like, why is Ray coming on a sober podcast? And um, when I watched BitCon a couple of weeks back, uh, it was obvious to me that there was way more to this story uh, and way more to Ray's life than just... Um, businesses and lavish lifestyles and uh, Lamborghinis and crazy, uh, crazy stuff going on. And, and of course, scamming people out of millions of dollars um, through Centratech. Um, there was a massive addiction problem as well. Uh, there was addiction to pills, to gambling, uh, and really to the criminal lifestyle. Um, and I also saw that there was a kid who grew up without a father. Uh, who shares on on this podcast? You won't see it in the in the film, but uh, Ray shared today that he was molested by his stepbrother, and uh, that he started taking drugs even before he was a teenager. Uh, so I wanted to have Ray on the show to explain more about his life, more about uh, his addiction, uh, and of course, more about his recovery, uh, which he does in today's uh, today's podcast. And uh, so much of his life is, is not really seen in the documentary, uh, which they recorded over 100 hours of film um, with him. And then we only see about an hour and a half of that film, uh, you know, in the documentary of his life, really, in the documentary itself. Uh, so, so there's a lot there. Um, now, before we go into the interview, uh, many people have opinions about Ray. Uh, rightfully so. And I think he would agree with me that a lot of people still don't really like him because of his past uh, and because of the things that he did. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, I would definitely encourage you to watch the film yourself after you listen to the podcast and form your own opinion. Um, You know, as I was getting ready to release this, I started thinking, um, you know, God gave us all free will. And all men have a choice and sometimes we make the right choice and sometimes we make the wrong choice and sometimes we make a lot of wrong choices. Um, I definitely have made a lot of bad decisions in my life. Um, at the end of the day, each one of us has to stand before God and account for our deeds in the world. Uh, the good ones, the bad ones, um, God doesn't judge us on our perfection. He judges us on our repentance. And Jesus says it very clearly in Matthew 9, 12, and 13. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. God doesn't want my sacrifice. He doesn't want my perfection. He doesn't want my good deeds. He doesn't want to hear my righteous judgments of other people's faults and sins. He simply wants me to repent. I'm a human being and I'm sick. He wants to show me mercy and he wants me to show mercy to others. 
He wants me to forgive others. And in turn, I can be forgiven when I meet him face to face. I hope you enjoy today's show. Here's Ray Trapani. Ray Trapani, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, my friend. Um, East Coast to West Coast, West Coast to East Coast. I like it. Um, so it's it's great to have you. Um, and uh, how, how are you tonight? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, maybe in setting this up a little bit, um, you're, you recently were part of um, a documentary on Netflix called BitCon, and uh, definitely encourage those out there listening to go check that out. Um, I think it was just released within the last uh, couple of weeks or so, right? Yeah, on the first it was released. Great, a great documentary. I love the, um, obviously the story behind it is super interesting. Um, I like the way it was produced. Definitely an artistic uh, feel to it um, with a crazy ass synopsis at the same time. So, um, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of that as the conversation uh, takes shape. Um, really though, one of the things that struck me, obviously, you, you battled addiction in that, um, you know, in, in your life uh, early on growing up. Um, and I would really, you know, they covered some of that in the documentary, but I really just thought, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your take a little bit more on that and dive into that. Um, so maybe if we just start, like, just like give us a little background about about yourself so um, so people can get to know who, who Ray is. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I, uh, I grew up in Long Island. Um, and like most people, your listeners would probably know Long Beach. It's like, that's like a surf town in, in Long Island, in New York. It's like 45 minutes from, from the city. So you kind of get the best of both worlds in that sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a cool town, but it's basically just like a blue collar surf town. Similar, similar, a lot of places in California. Um, just where, you know, everybody, pretty much the kids all summer. I mean, it's different for you guys because it's nicer weather all year round, but the summers are pretty much just a lot of weed smoking and a lot of surfing but um as far as growing up it was a my mom was a single mom and she was working in the icu 12 hours a day five days a week just to try to grind and get overtime so um we had really no guidance right my dad was out of the picture before i was born so just no guidance in that sense and then uh where my addiction really started was um like my childhood is relatively good early on right like Decent house, middle class, mom's busting her ass, but we, we were happy. Yeah. And then um, my, my mom remarried and then two stepbrothers, like I had two older brothers and then two stepbrothers uh, came with the, the new marriage. And um, from at like age eight, I started getting uh, molested by my stepbrother. So that was like the real turn of my brain, right? Where like I got fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then that happened from like, 12 to eight. And I, I mean, eight to 12. And I, I always kind of thought my whole family knew. So like I started like just completely detaching from the world. And um, that that's like really, and then like at 12, that same stepbrother started giving me weed. And then pretty much like, I was like just starting to smoke weed. And then I like also like all my older brothers were selling weed. So like I was just, and then, and they were also like starting to take pills and shit like that. That was back in the day before people really had like any, understanding how bad pills could be like uh this is probably i was born in, in 91 so this is probably 2003 ish right somewhere around there so like no one really was talking about like how bad you know the opiate epidemic is or this type of shit yet yeah. and everybody was just kind of experimenting with it right um and then from there pretty much like by like 13, my one of my other brothers gave me like a Zanny at the beach. I remember that was like my first first time taking a pill. But it, like you can't blame that brother, right? Like he was just at the beach. He was only 15. Uh, he's chilling with all his boys. And I'm like the younger brother that just like had no guidance. And it was just always around and just hanging around. He was just popping pills with his boys and gave me a half a Zanny. And I just took it. And I was like, all right, you know, I, I like the way it felt right away. Um, and then it kind of just from there by like 14, my, one of my best friends was like the, his older brother was like the major pot dealer for all of New York. Mm. So by like 14, I was already seeing hundreds of pounds of weed and hunt, like probably millions in cash, just sitting it throughout the house every day. We're going there to play video games and just like smoke weed. All the weeds free, obviously there. And he just basically like 
take whatever amount of weed you need. So like we just had unlimited access to pod and yeah. cash. And then even by, by then we're like, I also besides just the drug addiction, I was gambling by yeah. like 12, 13 as well, which was like another, probably my worst addiction is actually gambling Yeah, as far as financially. Yeah. I think I saw a clip, uh, uh, one of the recent podcasts you were on, I didn't catch the name of it, but um, you had met an, another, another friend of yours, um, in one of the uh, casinos out there and, and just started kind of gambling together um, and gambling a lot of money. And they do talk about that a little bit in the, um, in the documentary as well. Um, you, so you, you don't know who that guy is. I, I don't. You don't, he's a, I mean, he's, he's like a pop singer, but he's like 50 million on, on Instagram. He's popular. I mean, like, uh, I'm old, man. Jason I'm like, Derulo by, I'm like, 40, I'm like 42, man. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even I don't listen to his music. Like yeah. I think his music's like it's just not like I was a rap guy. So, yeah. I, but yeah. when I when I when I seen him at the table, I I, I knew you who he was. Him. I was like, yeah, like I, yeah. I was like, fuck it, you can sit here, you know. <laughs> that makes a little more sense now. Now that you say that too, because I'm looking at it, I'm like, he looks like a cool cat, man. He's you know he got cool shirt on, lots of style. Um, that's funny though. And you got, I mean, you guys kind of hit it off and ended up, you know, becoming friends or whatever from what I understand. But anyways, I mean to uh, sidestep us yeah. there, but I mean, so, so basically yeah, like good. you, you started like so young man, like at, at 12, 13 years old, like my daughter's 13 right now. So I think about that. I put that in context, like, wow, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot to, you know, to, um, uh, to take on at such a young age. And I, I want to point out too. One of the one of the very interesting parts that I thought in the documentary was they asked you about your father and you, you already mentioned your father you know wasn't around but and I I can't quote you exactly but it was something like he's a fucking loser like what more can you say, um, I mean do you can you dive into that a little bit more did he just did he just bounce out or I mean how not having a man in the house to lead young men, um, we know that's a huge epidemic right next to the drug epidemic, the alcoholism, all that stuff. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Cause, um, since I've, I've been sober now five years. So like I've, I filmed that scene like four years ago. Right. And then now I'm close to my dad over the, like the last really? two years we've kind of rekindled. And, and so like now that came out, really? and I don't even remember what I said, what I said, you know? So like, yeah. It's funny. I was, I felt bad when I when, as soon as I was watching it like early release before anybody saw it, uh -huh. and Netflix had sent me like a couple of days early, and I I was like, oh, oh. you know, like, I knew he was gonna see it, and then you know he's got coworkers and shit like yeah. that that um, wow. you know, so I, I was a little. It is what it is, you know. He he. The truth is is that he wasn't around. He left before I was born, mm -hmm. and um, like he just anytime like we would go see him. He would like have a new girlfriend over, you know, like just, and he was a drug addict also, right? Like he, that's why they separated him, my mom, freebasing Coke. Like they're pretty much their whole relationship, uh, construction guy, union construction guy in New York. And, um, just always doing wild shit, same shit. But then like, once you have kids and you see like how hard it is and all this type of shit, you can see how easy, easily, you know, those screws can get loose. Right. Especially if you're still on drugs during that time. Yeah. Um, so like, I, uh, I, I don't really, like, I, I'm not the type of person to hold a lot of resentment. I've done a lot of fucked up shit in my life that, you know, it is what it is. You know, you kind of got to move past those type of things. It's just like yeah. when I filmed with Netflix, I was filming like eight to 10 hours a day, days in a row. And just, I said, I filmed for like a hundred hours with them. So like I said, all the most outlandish shit that you can ever think of from sex stories to drug stories, to hooker stories gambling stories and most of it isn't in it right if it's only an hour and a half yeah so it's hard to, to you know they chose to put that in there and you know they were just basically painting trying to paint whoever they wanted me to look at and that's what they put in there yeah but, it's, fu uh, it's funny yeah, now now everything's good with them i I'm, i will number one um thanks for sharing that and i'm really glad to hear that um that you guys have kind of um i wasn't expecting that honestly because like you said like you you filmed 100 hours you know, as a viewer, we see an hour and a half of that and you can only fit in so much stuff in an hour and a half. Um, and isn't it interesting? Like when we, when we start to see our parents, like as people, and then we have our own kids. Right. But then now, now, like 
like I see my, my dad, I have my own issues with my father. He's still out on the street and like doing his thing. And, but I see him as like a human being. Now I see him as, um, a person. Like I see him as somebody who struggles with addiction and, um, I've also had to do a lot of work and, you know, resentment and all that, all that stuff that comes along with forgiveness and all that. Um, but it's helped to, to heal some of that. And have you experienced that too, with being able just to see your father, like as a dude now, just as a, a, a person himself and what, like, how, how was that? How did you do it? Trying, you know, forgiveness and, and trying to rekindle that relationship. Yeah. I mean, since I had gotten sober, like the first, like when I first started filming with Netflix, I was still on like pre-trial probation, which is in federal court. You're like right away. As soon as you get out of jail, you're on pre-trial up until sentencing. So like I hadn't done like any sort of work, right? Like I had been sober, be, you know, I had all the time over my head. And then I like at two years in, I, after like filming that first interview, I started, um, I got my case act and I started working with addicts and like sexual abuse victims and all this type of shit. And, uh, and then like, I, um, just through talking to everybody else and just hearing like these consistent stories and all this type of shit, you know, you kind of just sooner or later, like, and then I had kids and he wanted to see the kids yeah. and he would just come around once in a while. Right. And, and, you know, he was doing the right thing by his grandkids and, you know, he still has like his faults to, to the max. Right. Like we all do. Yeah. And uh, in some of his ways he's stuck in, but, but uh, I just, even my stepbrother that molested me, I still, I don't even have resentment towards him these days. Like I, really? I, you know, talk about all the shit that I did, you know, as much as like my, for me, it's easier to talk about my stepbrother situation. Cause like, I don't know, for some reason that had the most resentment for me, like my father's shit, like it was easier to get over. Right. Like, but the stepbrother shit was hard, but then you're like, you know what? He was, he was only, I was eight. He was like 12. Yeah. This is a horny little boy in the house, you know, like shit happens, you know, like whatever it is, what it is. How can I like forever hold on to that? Like it was, it wasn't a grown ass man doing that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you you know, think so that like, that, did that make it a little bit easier to deal with? Just um, being able to understand that, that um, he was just a kid too. And I keep, I keep hearing the phrase in my mind. I'm sure you've heard this before too. Um, like hurt people, hurt people. You know what I'm saying? When we have mm -hmm. trauma from when we grow up from kids, um, so many people, then we, you know, we turn around and, and we tend to have our own issues and then, you know, stuff happens sometimes. Um, but dude, that, that's, that's crazy that, um, cause that's such a serious thing too. You know what I mean? Like being molested at such a young age. Um, and to, for you to be able to, you know, work through that, I think is, um, is, is pretty, um, it's pretty insane actually, man. <laughs> Um, and so did, do you still talk with him or do you, do you have any relationship with him or is that like, for, it was forgiveness? Nah, like they, they've been divorced for a while now. My step, yeah. my mom and my stepdad. So like, yeah. I haven't seen him in, but it's just that like holding any resentment just was doing me no good. Yeah. And then through talking yeah. through these other people, I would see these people that like I molested as kids and they were just 50, 60 years old and they're still so fucking Either. beat down by that shit. And they're just, they're like, still want to kill the person. I'm like, this is this, like, I, I, I gotta be better than that. Right. Like, yeah. and I, I think sometimes through hearing other people's experiences, you gotta just be able to self have some self-realization yeah. of like, Oh shit. Like I can use this to better myself. How can I do that? And and that's what yeah. helped me yeah. for sure. Amen to that, man. Um, so we kind of we kind of derailed I think about 13 so like let's like backtrack to that like 13 like where where does that like drug and just like the gambling and entrepreneurship you're a smart dude obviously like I mean that like so that that mind that um kind of I don't know if your mind's anything like mine but it's constantly going it's hard to turn off sometimes and when I get an idea it's like boom let's let's go and so your life accelerated really fast at a young age. So like, how did that proceed like third, you know, 13 and then beyond that? Yeah. So I, I like, um, I just told this story too. Like my, at like 13 going on to be 14, my going into my first high school year, I think it was, I started selling weed. Um, and then I, 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 I like killed it that summer. Right. Like, and I was, I was taking like just, you know, regular kids should smoking weed, popping a couple of pills, not no addiction yet. Right. I mean, I'm, 
I'm more addicted to just like the overall scene of everything. And I killed it that summer. I made like 10, 15 grand. And I went into high school with all of all 20s, 10 grand in my pocket every single day. Right. And, and at this point, I'm also gambling like at these like high stakes underground Orthodox Jewish poker games, odd scenario in in New York. That's just what it was. (laughs) That's crazy. So, so would you say that, um, is it fair to say you, you became addicted to money at a, at a young age too? Yeah, for sure. That was like, it's still like my biggest addiction. That's like where I'm still trying to break that. I I mean, I'm pretty good these days, like where I'm just reserved and, you know, when you have like real responsibilities, it's a little different, but at those young ages, when you have no responsibility, no guidance, and then you just have access to cash, it's become so addiction, like addicting. And you can see pictures of me, like even from 10, 12, you know, like all those ages, every picture I'm holding up cash. Like I was just a little wise ass sticking my middle finger up at everybody holding up cash and um and then by like so then that that goes on that's like kind of my cycle like 13th to 10th grade and then at 16 uh, i went to a poker game at like in long island there was poker games everywhere like everybody trying to open up their own underground poker game uh so they can just take their rake and make their money Mm. and then uh coming home i was taking zannies that night at the game and then on the way home bad car accident car flips like 10 15 times my whole face gets chopped into pieces and uh, i go to the hospital and uh basically about a week later i get prescribed oxycodone so like at 16 i'm prescribed and then back back then it was so fucked up like the doctors would prescribe 120 oxycodone to a kid going back to high school at 16 years old four oxycodone 30s a day is ridiculous i don't it's know crazy. what your addiction was but that's a crazy amount of oxycodone yeah yeah that was like the pill the kind of the pill mill days too right like just writing scripts and um just handing them out like candy. yeah um I, I actually never i never got ad- addicted to those um i did try them a couple of times and i didn't like them just i got sick off of them so but um but it, i i know how addictive they can be because i've seen other people and yeah it's it's crazy and so you're getting prescribed 120 of these things like i mean obviously you're not going to take all those you, you're you're making some money off of them right yeah yeah so i definitely started selling them because i was already selling other shit you know selling weed or selling zannies um but that that like i had taken a few oxycodons up until that point but i was still just trying i'm ready like nothing crazy but then once i got those and then I ended up getting a lawsuit pretty shortly after that. And I was I was still at this point, like, I still thought my family knew about what happened and never had brought it up. So, like, I kind of was still angry at my family. So, I, as soon as I got that lawsuit, it was like 50 grand at 16, all, unlimited prescription of Oxycontin. I was like, all right, I'm gone. I moved out at 16. I got my grandfather to co-sign for me, like, to, you know, to sign as the adult or whatever it was. Because he was, like, my guiding force there like my father figure and he was you know an old school gangster and i was just like all right but you know and he got he, he helped me get that spot and, that, and then my first move was like i bought 10 ounces of coke i was going to be the biggest coke dealer I, I had no no regular thought as like a 16 year old kid so i'm i'm oxied out of my face selling coke like a maniac um like i remember meeting this like i had to get like a spanish kid that i knew to, to translate to meet this like connection in <laughs> but you know I, I ended up getting the coke yeah um so so now i'm 16 i'm like full-blown addicted to oxycodone going to high school selling coke selling weed pretty much selling whatever i can get my hand i was selling mushrooms uh ecstasy everything at that point and i'm i'm like the i'm like the bad kid in school super young i'm still not even a senior yet and uh but me and my friend group were all taking, they're all like living, like not living there. They were going back home every once in a while, but pretty much staying in my place like a couple nights a week. It's like the little trap spot that we're all just getting fucked up in. Uh, it was just, you know, super unhealthy environment for for any kids to be in. Yeah. But then from there, you got, oh, yeah, you yeah, want me to go. keep going or? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, man. Yeah. 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 So then, um, then like, 
I think I got arrested for like having a few hundred Xanax and and like a co-op of weed or something like that, driving around, going to like high school parties. And I got a I got a DUI and controlled substance charge. That, but like when you're that young, you, those charges were just getting kind of wiped away. Oh, yeah. Like I would do like, and then like, but those are my first times getting sober, right? You get sober for like six months, do drug court or whatever it is, and uh, you know, those are like, and then like. But I, I dropped out of high school, like going into senior year or like I kind of went a little bit of senior year. And I was like, all right, fuck high school. I'm not doing this shit. Yeah. I was just full blown doing drugs, selling drugs. Uh, got a caught a couple other times for other shit, basically just different drug charges. And I ended up getting into like the my grandfather's like, all right, you're sober now. You know, you're on drug court. Get into the union. He got me a union card, full, like skipped the apprenticeship straight into a full book. So now I'm like 19 like uh, six months sober. I was probably 125 pounds working with grown ass, you know, big, you know, (laughs) like uh, Like, scaffolding guys. And I was just in there like a little fiend. You were, so, so he made, he made you, um, you you were a journeyman scaffold builder right off the bat. Like no, yeah. My first job was at the new, no, no apprenticeship. First job at the new world trade center. Really? Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I worked there for like, yeah, I worked there for like uh, a year and a half just at the World Trade Center, taking down like a, a hoist, you know, on the side yeah. of the building. Yeah. Um, that was like my first job. It was they already finished like building, putting those windows in on that run. So they were just taking down the hoist. Uh, but I just like, I couldn't lift shit. You know, I was so skinny and cracked out still. Yeah. And um, right right away, I jumped on testosterone. I was like, I got to <laughs> catch up to these fucking guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take before you were like yeah this i'm not really into this like <laughs> i mean that's hard work i was pretty dude. jacked for a little bit there really yeah, oh, it's nice. hard work for yeah. sure I, yeah. I got jacked by like a year in you know just from the testosterone and push-ups yeah. but uh and and working right yeah. but then yeah like sooner or later i was just like i cannot do this for the rest of my life and um i went and visited my boy down in, in miami and uh I had once I got off probation or like the drug court finished, I was, you know, how that always goes. You start taking a few pills again or whatever it is you're addicted to. And, and I was slowly getting back into my addiction. I went and visited my boy down in South Florida. It wasn't Miami. It was actually, it was like uh, by Boca, which is like 45 minutes outside of Miami. And he was just like, yeah, like my roommate just got locked up. Come, come move down here. And I literally flew back that same day and drove down in like my Toyota Camry at the time I was driving, like not a Toyota Camry, it was like a, a Chevy Impala, but like one of the old ones. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just drove down there. And then once I got down there, like I, I had like a little bit of money saved from the construction ship, but not a lot. Right. But then um, I figured out this new scam, like right as soon as I got down there with my boy, this, um this Venmo scam, which this isn't, I haven't even told this story yet, but um before the cars happened i i figured out this new scam with Venmo where it was like i basically as soon as you create an account on Venmo, you used to be able to this is back before they fixed it probably because of us but you used to be able to just as soon as you transfer like five dollars on a new account from Venmo, even if you have no money in your account and your account has that five dollar history you'd be able to transfer three thousand dollars to anybody and it would just hit your account and then it would bounce off your account and then you'd only get a charge for $35 overdraft fee, but the person would already get the $3,000 and be able to cash it out. What? And once That's I crazy. figured that out, I was like, holy shit. Like, and then we we did it once and then I was like, all right, now take that 3,000, cash it out. And then from your account, send $3,000 to this next person. And then it, it worked and it just kept working. It was nuts for a while there. Wow. And then I started doing that I started doing that like probably 10 times a day, right? Like 30 grand a day, every single day. And I was like, this is my first, like I had done like a big pill scam that's in the documentary, which people will see that through the documentary back in the day. But like, this was my first, you know, like I, I was like, oh shit, this is a real hustle, right? Like 30 grand a day is a ton of fucking money. 
Would you um, call it the, the, then we, we, the endless money glitch? <laughs> what was it in the in the movie? They yeah, yeah, yeah. They like that. they like that statement. They like that uh, that line. I said, yeah. I think <laughs> something like that. <laughs> they took yeah. a few lines that I said, and they they really ran with it. Yeah. But yeah, my my first one was like a like a prescription pill fraud back in the day. That like when I was seventeen, eighteen, I made a ton of money. But this was like a a scam that wasn't covered in the documentary. It was the Venmo scam? And shit, man, I made a fortune. I probably ended up making. I made enough to be able to fund Miami Exotics. That's like kind of how I parlayed into Miami Exotics because sooner or later, like I, after, after I after I took, I was getting like 10 people a day, but then like you, your people run out of people that you know that can do it. Yeah. So I started making like fake Instagram accounts and basically just getting people off the internet like with these random accounts to just basically give me all their personal information. Now I'd be like, oh, I'll give you half of the money once we do the transaction and I have them send the transaction and then uh, sometimes I break them off. Sometimes I just probably dead them to tell you the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So how, how long did that last for before like Venmo? And that's crazy. How did you figure that out? Anyways, it was just like a random stroke of luck or like that's, that's crazy. It's, it's funny. Like I would say it was a stroke of luck, Yeah. but um, I'm the type of person that like I, push on like every single angle of things a lot in life where like that's why i feel like i'm in these situations more so than other people that are like trying to commit crimes right like people just kind of a lot of times end up being just like one trick ponies and they do the same thing over and over i'm like always pushing these angles on like just different shit right like i was down there just sitting on the balcony and i'm like hold up let me like these those apps were kind of new at that time and i just downloaded it and i was like like some people wouldn't even think to try to send the money. Yeah. But I just like, you know how like sometimes on certain things, like the button will turn blue if it's, you're like able to click it, but until it usually it doesn't even highlight. Yeah. I just was like typing in extra. And I saw that pop up. Like I was like, like sometimes it'll just give you an error message, but then shit, boom, try just it. hit. Yeah. And I was wow. like, <laughs> that's crazy. So let me, you know, yeah. some, so I just want to I want to say something real quick before we go because I want to get into Miami Exotics and hear a little bit about that, like how that actually, you know, you, you actually started this legitimate business and um, backstory behind that. But like, I didn't realize too that you filmed the documentary like four years ago too. Um, so seeing it as a viewer once again, like we're just seeing what that is that hour and a half of like right now and like oh look there's Ray. So real simple question like. Are you today the the man that you were in that documentary? Like, no, even in the documentary, like a lot of the scenes I'm asking the director, like, what do you want me to say? Because you want to play up your old self, right? So like you want to sell the documentary as much as you possibly could. So you're like, like even there's a scene that I that I have like an exact example of, of like about the house. I was talking about like financial times in America and then. And then there's a part of me talking about that, but then there's a part of me just asking the director, what do you want me to say here that I bought everything off doing some shit, some shady shit. And he yeah. took those two things and cut them together to make it look like I said, I bought the house off doing some shady shit. Yeah. So like, there's just like every single time we would film, like after you film for so long, you're like, all right, what, what would make this like scene the best, right? Like, what do you want me to say here? That's like really going to play out this, this villain role, the best for you. So, so no, like yeah. I, I'm not even anything really like that at all anymore. Right. Like I'm like a goofy guy that just like kind of dances around with his kids and just, try, <laughs> you know, yeah. trying to fuck around on the internet now and just trying to figure out life in, yeah. in the sense of a guy with 12 felonies. Right. Like it, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I appreciate you know? you, you know, breaking that down and, and kind of the reason I ask that too, is because, um, like you know, I, I read, how do I say this? A lot of people have a lot of opinions, right? Obviously, um, I'm sure you see them or maybe you don't, I don't know, on social media, you know, responding to the criminal acts that you took, you know, part in. I I specifically love doing this show and working with, with people in general, and particularly men who have made mistakes in their life, who have done shitty things, um, but have ask for, you know, uh, redemption. I believe God redeems every man who wants to be redeemed and we can change and 
we can um, make amends and, and, and right our wrongs, in other words. And so just kind of before we went forward, I just I, I kind of wanted to establish that, um, you know, like, yes, you, you, you've already admitted you've made a lot of mistakes. I'm sure you're still working through those. You said 12 felonies. That's a whole another thing to try to live life with and, and you know, have a family and all that. Um, but I just I kind of wanted to hear, you know, your your take like you're not that same guy today. You know what I mean? Right. You're still, you know, you're trying to move on from that and put, you know, put the pieces back together and, and be a decent human being. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like my whole thing is that like where I, where people don't like me uh, as far as like the documentary is, is my smirks and my laughs in, in, in bad times. Right. Yeah. But like, I look like uh, this guy's an asshole. Like, but like people don't realize, like I'll talk about me getting molested and I'll make a, a rape joke on about it. You know, like, that's just who I am. Like I, 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 you've probably seen sickos like this in the meetings and shit like that. Where like sometimes that's just our way through our trauma is just by laughing through it. And I, it's like some of these crimes, like a lot of those smirks and laughs, like in the documentary. If you hear your, if you if you say some shit like that and you hear yourself back in your head, like it plays back, like especially on camera, you're thinking about everything you say. Like ha, oh, fuck, like that sounds terrible. But they just they don't like. <laughs> let yeah. you say that that's terrible part they just they just have like the little like ha like yeah. this part you know like that well, original smirk laugh and like, it yeah. looks like i'm a scumbag in that way right which i don't give a fuck like i i still laugh about literally everything you know and, and like i i've on on the internet aspect like i tell try to tell people like yeah i'm sorry people lost money it is what it is you know like i'm definitely more sorry that actual individuals lost money than vemo as a corporation but that's besides the point <laughs> um yeah yeah so 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 that's that i, I mean that that whole aspect of it of like who i was in the documentary is definitely not the full picture right like they don't even have like any of the trauma or the redemption end of it or like yeah. still you know i'll get to the, the the ending sentence uh when we get there yeah but yeah so then like so now the Venmo thing happens i i stack like a good amount of money from that maybe like quarter million or whatever it was and I uh, parlayed that into like getting, I asked a lot of my family, like, can I, I'm like, I'm guys, I'm doing well. I was popping Zannies left and right, like starting to pop Zannies even more and more at this point. But I'm like, guys, I'm down in Florida. Like I'm, I'm working uh, me and me and my boy that I was living with, we, we had like a regular job as well. And I was just telling them, like, guys, I'm killing it down here, but I want to open up a business. And then I, I asked for some personal loans in their name to get like cars. I had drawn up like a whole business plan on like how the business will work and why it's going to be so profitable down there. And I got some people in my family to, to, to help me get car loans. And that's how I started Miami exotics. And, um, Miami exotics was great, but it like throws you into this crazy fast paced life yeah. where like, I'm already taking Zannies and, but like to be in Miami with a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or, you know, Aston Martin, or whatever car it is. And then you have all the women around you. It's overwhelming, especially as an addict. Yeah. Um, and then I started gambling. This casino's down in South Florida. So like and I'm down there just, you know, freeballing it by myself, just trying to figure out like how to run my first business where I had no idea what I was doing in, yeah. you know, in all reality. How, how and then old the business you? started taking off. You're like, I'm like 24. Oh, 24. Okay, got it. No, at this point I'm probably like 23, 24, somewhere okay. in that range. Okay. Like I was down there for a little bit. I there's there's it like is the construction I started at 19. I probably left it at like 21, maybe 22 almost. And then I go down there, bam, all fucking around, whatever it is. You know, there's obviously breaks there. I don't know where the fucking timeline exactly is. I, you know, my yeah. brain is zanny fried in, in a sense where like I'm terrible with dates. But point, you're, you're, but, you're, um, a, young, you're a young kid and now you're like thrust into this business, like in like, and you got a lot of money like to, to do. And a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah. And I've, a I've access to like basically millions of dollars, like a million dollars or half a million dollars in cash. Um, every single car you can imagine. And, and the business is starting to do really well. So like, I'm just racking in money, but like I had no money management at this point, right? Me and my partners were, you know, say profiting 60 grand a month. That money's just disappearing and spending more, like more than 60 grand a month, which is madness. Yeah. If you're making 60 grand profit and you're, you're going over that, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's you know, but sure. that was just going, that was like hanging out with celebrities every single day, going to the club, 
you know, in Miami, you can spend 10 grand in a night just getting a table, popping bottles, you know, just being a degenerate. Um, so that's pretty much my life there for a while. And, and, um, I'm just basically like my Xanax addiction is just getting worse and worse. And I have like the type of addiction, I'm the type of person where like, I don't, my tolerance just continues to build, um, to a point where that business starts to go left. Um, and I ended up losing like a hundred thousand dollars. I go to actually like, I started to fight with my partners because money was starting to go missing and like checks were getting written and they were telling telling me both of them were telling me it was each other like this this partner was telling me it was this partner and i didn't know who the fuck to believe because they're both great speakers right like both kind of um good comment in that way and uh so fucking i'm like fuck you guys and i just took like the last few hundred grand or like it was a little over 100 grand i flew to vegas and i'm like fuck it i'm gonna go play in the world series of poker <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna risk it all, right? I'm, I'm, whatever happens, I'm either gonna come back, or I'm gonna be able to pay off all my family's debts and go back to New York, or I'm just gonna lose it all and kill myself. That was like my my plan right there. It was just, you know, full blown. This is this is it. I'm either gonna make it all, or I'm gonna lose it all, and I'm gonna die. All or nothing. And um, I ended, up, yeah, and I ended up losing it all. And that night, I went into my my hotel room and um. I'm trying to think what hotel, whatever, one of these casinos where the World Series of Poker was hosted that year. And uh, I took like maybe 60 Xanax. Damn. Um, a bunch of Suboxone that I had with me. I, I took a bunch of those and then I basically just fell asleep. I, you know, I, I remember thinking about my, like always up until that point where like I had contemplations about suicide. I always would think of my grandfather. And that was like the one time where like I thought of him and I just still went through with it. It was fucked up because like there was debt in his name. So like it really hurt like in that sense where like I was like, damn, I failed my grandfather who was like always the one that kind of held me back from killing myself in the past. And uh, I ended up just waking up like 20 hours later, you know, fucking damn. And like, you don't know what to do. I didn't even have any drugs left. You know, you're like in a Vegas hotel. <laughs> you know, as an addict, you're like, fuck the drugs. I yeah. don't got drugs left. It's not about surviving. It was like, yeah. you know, fuck. And um, from there, like, I just like called my mom, cried it out. You know, that was like that moment there. And um, but I still wasn't ready to face like my grandparents or tell anybody what was going on. I'm like, all right, mom, let me go back and, and figure out what I can do. And I went back and I figured out this like this little scheme where I was I, I basically told I sold one of my cars. But I sold the guy that bought it. I gave him a fake title so I didn't have to pay off the car loan on the, on the loan. And I got like a few hundred grand for one of the cars Damn. that I was able to put back into play to to be able to parlay into what ended up being Centrotech. So so that was, that was one of the cars from Miami Exotics that, I mean, you had a fleet of cars, I think, right? Like uh, different. Yeah. Cars. So that was one of those cars. Yeah, but also like those are all cars that are financed. So like there's just big notes on them and I was able to make the payments up until that point. But now all the, the reserve capital is gone and you need reserve capital to run a business. And um, but like so like to get like a big chunk of money back, we basically got a guy to buy one of the Bentleys and he came, gave us like whatever it was for it, and we gave him we we because we're always good at fraud, you know, like I can take any PDF that you give me and basically make it like I can give you give me a bank statement I can make it look like anything even up until that point if I was applying for an apartment I could take make bank statements bank I can make anything on PDF editor um <laughs> so then uh so then from there now I have like some money and then but the two partners were also still blaming each other for the happen originally and I kind of had to pick between the two partners and I ended up picking the 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 one kid that ended up being my co-defendant in the the cryptocurrency case, yeah, and um, who you didn't like, right? So now, in, <laughs> say that again. So who, who yeah, you I didn't. hated this fucking kid. <laughs> I thought that was a funny yeah, part. Like, the, didn't the, even like the guy. The, yeah, the funny, <laughs> like that kid. I, I in high school in a in a CeeLo game, he had beat my best friend for like a thousand dollars in high school in a CeeLo game, and I robbed him. Like I always hated this kid from a young age i hated this kid and he was just like he was he never was into drugs right like he was like just a scammer but he was like this straight edge nerdy scammer you know yeah 
So, so I just, you know, I just never liked him. It is what it is. And then, but like he, he was, when I met him in Florida and I seen like his ability to like finesse shit and he, he taught me a lot of like the PDF scan, like with the editing of documents and all this type of stuff. I just saw that there was like value there in the sense of like, if, if we're not going to make enough off the car business to pay all these loans back where I can like pay everything off and go back to New York, I was like, we have to figure something else out. And I, and, and my one boy was saying, we should just stick with the cars. We should stick with the cars. And then he was like, Oh no, we should get into this crypto shit. Like he was like investing in crypto and he was investing yeah. in crypto with money that he had stole from our, our business, which was the whole fucked up oh, thing wow. that people don't realize. Yeah. So l- let me, um, let me just stop real quick. Cause I just want to back up for just a second on the, on the overdose and the suicide attempt. Like number one, 60 Xanax pills. Like that's insane. Like how, it's literally like, I mean, that's a miracle that you even woke up, number one, um, which leads me to believe that God does have a bigger purpose for your life. As it, I mean, obviously, it continued to go south from there in, in a lot of different ways for you. But, um, you know, and then number two, like, did you did you go to rehab after that? Or how did you get like, how did you kind of square, get yourself together? And I think you're, I know your mom, I think in the documentary, it mentions that she kind of helped, you know, she helped you kind of get your, your stuff together. Um, but what did that look like? Like before it went into crypto? Um, so I never went to rehab in that period. No, I just, I, I came back to Florida and got more drugs and just continued to do drugs. And you know, it's crazy. I just realized, like, as I'm saying this, I jumped like a big part of my addiction. I was addicted to heroin there for a little bit. Oh, wow. That's where, that's where those early 20 year old days, uh, those like the scaffold, the scaffold like, building, days? like the construction shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think like somewhere in that, like, there's like breaks of just like, it was like a year period where I did heroin and, um, but like I had been to rehab like 12 times up until this point, I've been to rehab 13 times in my life. So like I, Throughout all my teenage years, every year I was going to rehab multiple times. So I've been to rehab a ton of times. So I've always seen the recovery aspect of things. And it was, but just every time I only had like a few months sober, right back on drugs, right back on drugs. My family, my mom probably still has debt or owes rehabs money from the times that amount of times I went to rehab. You know, she always had good insurance, but fucking shit, I went to rehab a lot of times. Like, and anybody that watches the documentary already know that part. That's like the, the big, main focus of the documentary it's basically like a cryptocurrency company that we made a hundred couple hundred million dollars and um that ended up getting shut down uh by the fbi and then basically i finally get arrested right like this this two-month period of where like i was basically having seizures pretty much every couple weeks um because I would run out of Xanax I'm taking 25 plus Xanax every single day I'd wake up pop six Xannies um, anybody that does one Xanny pretty much knows what I'm, uh, like that's a crazy amount of Xanax to be able to get your talents yeah. to that but what it was was that like I basically had everybody in South Florida that had Xanax I was like I'll buy all your Xanax for full price and you can get to like tolerance levels that sound fake almost right yeah. like it doesn't even sound like some I I'd be in rehab and people would say that amount. I'd be like, uh-huh, sure. You even, I'm sure you did 25 Xanax, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I was popping crazy. six Xannies, six Xannies first thing in the morning. Um, so, so then, yeah, well, these seizures were crazy, right? Like I kept having to go to the hospital and uh, then I finally get arrested and I go to jail and like I had done Xannies prior to, like four in the morning or three in the morning, I get arrested at like five in the morning. The FBI comes uh, knocking on my door and, you know, th- your main worry is like withdrawal, obviously, right? Yeah. And um, I had got to the jail and like you, you expect to start really hitting withdrawal like that night trying to go to sleep. And I just never really experienced withdrawal. And that's where like I'm like, what is that? Not that I didn't experience any withdrawal, but I fell asleep that night. I woke up, I ate breakfast, like those things as, as an addict, you know, like, or like anybody knows like how big those things are, because usually you just can't eat seizures, can't sleep. And like, I, uh, 
I don't know. Like that's where like I I I was like an atheist my whole life up until that moment where you're like, holy shit, like something bigger than me is controlling the situation. And there's there's part of it maybe that has to do with like you're facing a hundred plus years and you're like, what the hell's going on in my life? And like everything just got kind of taken away from me, this crazy lifestyle that I was living up until that point. That has to do with the two. But the fact that I, I wasn't having seizures when I was having them a week before. It was just crazy. Like it, it didn't is. make any sense. And um, you know, and I'm sitting in this jail like in like a suicide suit in the in like the like you know, it's like Velcro it's green. It looks like almost like a like a Spartan outfit, but with with Velcro. And uh yeah, then like they, after like a week they let me go out on bail and I had still like a ton of Xanax and Suboxins and shit at my house. And I had to go home for the day because rehab couldn't admit me till the next morning. And like, I remember up until that point, like always in my life, like I would have never had the strength to not do drugs like that for one loud, late, you know, one last bow out, obviously. Right. Like, and I just was like, they're in my safe. Like I get back to the house and I just, I just didn't do them, you know, like there's something stronger than me that, that gave me that power to, to be able to do that. Right. Um, so you had I, no, you had uh, no withdrawals. Lot of, you had no withdrawals. I just wanted to clarify that. Like in, I have, I don't want to say, I don't want to say no withdrawals, right? Like I'm still like sweaty. Normal, I'm yeah, still like, like the normal, like yeah, like I had been to rehab. Super, yeah, and yeah. I had been to rehab so many times, and I always was like the cr- crying that I was withdrawing so bad, like sh- you know, shaking, sweating, hot, you know, cold yeah. sweats, like throughout the night, waking up, so- bed soaking wet. My bed was still soaking wet, but like just the fact that like I was able to get through those days and like be a regular human to an extent and eat food, yeah, was crazy. just crazy, crazy. Um, um, I I don't want to stop you, but I am interested in. You said you were atheist, and at this point in your life, something changed in that. <laughs> Um, I mean, and I'll just like in all transparency, man, I, I love Jesus. I'm not a religious dude, but I love Jesus. I love God. Um, I had a spiritual awakening in that in a moment in my life and it changed my life. And we've instilled that in, in our kids and our family. Um, I'm, you know, very imperfect, but you know, it's, it's crazy to me, the difference between, um, trying to live in this world and operate in this world and like that battle between flesh and spirit. And, um, you know, some days are better than others, but in in any case, um, I just, I'm curious about that with you, like atheist, something happens, like what, what happened with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say atheist because I I was more like agnostic in that sense. Right. Where like it, it, I was always like the hard headed kid that was like, well, prove it, you know? And, and, and there's no way to like a lot of times prove these type of things. So I'm like, yeah, you know, like I was more atheist is not like, that's like where you just don't believe. I, I was raised Catholic. My family's uh, like I went to Catholic school, not Catholic school, but like the whatever the catechism. program is after school that you go catechism. catechism. I, um, I, I was baptized. I didn't have my confirmation. I, my brothers did, but I, I they forgot about me on that one. Um, and then like I, I still to this day, like religion is a tough one for me. I, I could debate it with you. Some of the things I say, like, I don't want to be like uh, offensive because like my my brother's in recovery, super big on on religion. My other brothers are, both of my brothers are, two of my brothers are really big on religion. I, uh, as far as it goes with religion, I just have some issues with like, almost like the dogmatic beliefs that come along with some of it. Like as far as like the bad aspects of shit, where like, I don't think it's fair to just base things in things you can't necessarily prove and never change your stance when it comes to, especially like in, not really in Catholic, but like, in in other in other religions where like that's where like i would just debate i'm, I'm like a a nerd in that aspect where like i've just yeah. debated shit like that so many times that like i i have this weird stance on it and um but like as far as believing in like something bigger than me i 100 percent believe in something bigger than me i always kind of have i just was agnostic to it right so like yeah. um I fully respect all religions. I, I have no issue with any you know i'm not the type of person who would, that would be like religion's dumb you know, it's just that I, I just never really found like my true faith in that sense, right? Like, but then like after that moment, I always was just like, yo, that was something bigger than me. Yeah. And then like a good story was like, um, like 
I, so like this whole time I, I've been sober, I've been on probation or pretrial up until sentencing. Um, and then I've been on probation, right? So like, I still have always had this crazy weight of like, I can't fuck up, right? So like I, my real thing I had to be self-aware of is in a year when I'm off probation, that's my real test, right? Like I would never risk it now, but like, that's like where I have like, but I have like a great circle around me, wife, kids, my, I have like two friends that I see. I don't really see anybody. I'm all my family's back in my life. Um, I don't see drugs ever, you know, anymore in my life. So like that aspect of it is really good. Um, and then like, I remember even like leading up into my sentencing though, like there was this Orthodox Jewish kid that was my cutting my hair. And, uh, he was like, you know, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And that saying fucking hit me, you know, I was like, that's a good saying, you know, <laughs> I was like, and that night I definitely did some praying for sure. You know, <laughs> you know, and I was probably praying to Jesus that, that night for you know, like if I was going to pray, I, I still wear a cross around my neck. Like yeah. I, I have a cross on right now. Yeah, so like, it's not like I have um, no, no yeah. necessary faith. It's just well, I, kind I can... of all over the place as far as. Well, I was just, I, I can relate to you on that too. Like same, like I was raised Catholic catechism, confirmation, first communion. Um, and I respect, you know, the church and I respect like my grandparents instilling that in me as a kid. Um, like I always had, a, I always knew that there was something like higher and bigger, but as I kind of went down my own path, like that kind of went away and it was all about Shane. And, and like, so like, you, you mentioned religion a couple times and I've always had an issue with that though. Like, um, not you, not you saying it, but religion in general, like there's a difference to me between like religion, like the, 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 the legalistic part of religion versus like me being able to have a relationship with God and me being able to speak and pray and, and to sit in meditation with God myself. Like I, and I respect pastors and priests and, um, like I said, I respect the church, but I don't need a priest to, um, be a conduit for me to get to, you know, that spiritual connection with God, if that makes sense. And like that, that's been a battle for me too. Cause I'm much like you in the fact that my wife, you know, she, she's done some work on me and she's helped me kind of break this wall down. But like, I have to logically figure something out. There has to be sense of it. It has to make sense. You know, it, and, and if it doesn't, then that's really hard for me to, um, to connect to, you know? So there has been a lot of acceptance in that. Like, I don't have to have the specific answer, you know, to that. Um, but I know that there is something higher and I'm just going to do my best to kind of walk in that and, um, you know, and, and look at myself and look at my family and look at the world, like through a larger perspective ver versus just like my skewed, like weird, um, like jacked up you know, lens that I can look through sometimes, you know, and that's what, what's got me in trouble a lot of the times, you know, especially back in the day. Um, but I don't know, does that make sense? Like the, like just the difference between like, yeah, religion no, exactly. it's the same, yeah. it's the same thought where I just, yeah. it's agnostic. It's the same thought you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, I, that's exactly what it is. And, and like, especially as men, a lot of times we're trying to find like the solution or the exact, yeah. like a real answer. Yeah. And it's hard to find in religion, right? Like, uh, you know, some people got some, you know, they, they found Noah's Ark or whatever it is, but you know, it's tough to fully, fully <laughs> yeah. grasp the fact that like, it's an unprovable truth. The, the one thing that like anybody, I don't think anybody can debate is that it's it's healthy for society to have like a baseline moral ethnic yeah. or ethnic code. And that's what religion gives a lot of people. And I think every, you know, pretty much anybody can use that for the betterment of society. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as like the, the, the super extreme dogmatic beliefs that some religions may hold or, you know, in, in every religion, I think that's that's where it becomes debatable. And but that's like kind of a higher level that doesn't even need to be discussed as far as like yeah. people need a baseline code of morals and ethics that yeah. that will help everybody. And 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 that's what it provides. And some people try to argue that without you know you don't need religion to do that. But you know as as far as like having something where like everybody can resort to one exact thing, it, it helps a lot. I think. Yeah. How about like, have you seen those people that like have the snakes? <laughs> it's like snake, snake praying and stuff. And that like, that stuff's crazy, dude. I don't know where that's at. <laughs> Somewhere down the South or something, but it's like, oh, look, 
Uncle Joe's carrying snakes. Have you seen that? Or like, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I don't. Dude, I have no they, idea. They bring snakes, like, and I don't. I I don't know if they still do it, but I remember seeing videos of it, and they like literally bring like rattlesnakes, like all kinds of snakes, and like they're like dancing around and like praying and like they're like snake charming. I, I don't know, weird weird stuff. They're trying to they're trying to make their own religion. You saying? I, maybe, yeah, maybe it could be. It's, it's definitely strange. I think the dude got <laughs> bit and died. Like I don't, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, re religion can definitely be, um, you know, dogmatic. And I mean, you could even get into and, and we don't have to get in this now, um, but like the dogma of twelve step and the dogma of any different types mm -hmm. of you know re a religious foundation or a strong belief foundation. Um, yeah, but. What were you saying before that? I totally lost my train of thought. Um, we were going, to, we were going. Somewhere. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Like that's yeah. the whole, that's like where I, um, I've listened to like a lot of, like you ever listen to this debate, which is like a good religious debate. It's Jordan Peterson mm, yeah, I love uh, debating Sam Harris on religion. God, If you haven't, you should listen to that. That's a yeah. great debate. And um, that's where it's like, they talk about these exact things. And I, that's where like, I was like, Hmm, I kind of, agree with like the the non-religious aspect of it but this is yeah. this is years ago but this yeah. is just me being a nerd uh but whatever yeah so that that's that so then so then basically i think that's pretty much it right like that's now i'm at, at a point right where like uh i i have since i got arrested on 4 20 2018 so i have some time under my belt and i'm pretty much you know i have like no real thoughts of drugs anymore you know but i, I definitely have the self-awareness to know that like my real test will be whenever that day comes where i'm off probation and i have like the freedom of just like going out and you know it wouldn't be like oh i'm just gonna go pop a bunch of drugs the first day but like even this like the temptation of smoking a joint or whatever it is yeah. that will just lead me back into that path that's where i have to really watch out yeah yeah for sure um so now, now that, so have you, have you, have you been able to like make amends for a lot of the stuff and, and find some, you know, some, um, healing on both sides, like for you, for, you know, the, the, the shit that you did. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think like, I didn't do like the 12 step work. Right. But I did it through like where I, I got my case act and I worked with pe people in addiction and I kind of would just talk about my trauma, like the things that I did wrong and like, how I'm trying to better myself now. And that was kind of me making my amends. Um, as far as like reaching out to it's it's hard for me to kind of reach out to every individual person that I fucked over yeah. in that sense. Cause it's like tens of thousands of people that like were involved in this fraud. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I just, I kind of just try to give back as much as possible. And that's really what helps me, you know, claim my sobriety and just, stay strong i think yeah. the more than anything um how about being like a father now man like i mean one of the most craziest things in life i, I must say and challenging sometimes but like the greatest things like I, I wouldn't change it you know for anything um has that has that changed you like as a dude just being a dad yeah it's funny i got two kids uh my my first kid my my first kid was in the dock and they didn't they cut him out Mm. I almost feel bad. Really? Oh shit. <laughs> they 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 don't they only put the one that would happen the the um the day of the sentencing because yeah. it's a crazy story. But yeah, my first kid I had during COVID and um he's the man, you know, he's now he's like three and a half. And uh you know, that was like my like my first like the first kid is is it's crazy, you know, like it's it was awesome and I you know Fatherhood's like the best thing ever for me. I, I needed that. I really did. I needed that, like to have some sort of like reason to like stay, you know, just like as a family unit and, and, and kind of, you know, not having a father as a kid to like prove myself and just stay strong in certain senses where like a lot of times I, I would allow my vulnerable side to just get weak and just fall apart. And um, I think kids help in that sense, you know, yeah. where you know, you have to be there for somebody else and um putting somebody else before you is, is a good thing in, yeah. in pretty much all all of life you, you know you need to learn to do that um and then the crazy my second one which is in the documentary my wife's water broke i'm facing 175 years um my wife's water broke the day of sentencing that morning and like i have netflix filming me that whole day wow 
So like, it was just a fucking crazy, crazy ass day, you know? Yeah. And like my wife's water broken. Like my lawyer, my lawyer calls me and I tell him and he's like, no way. Like, should we call it? Because my court date had got pushed back for almost a year, 10 times, got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. My wife's like, no, you're going to court. Like we need to get this shit over with. And, uh, I ended up, uh, getting time served. I had cooperated in the case and, and I got time served and, uh, thank God for that. And, I've been able to be there for my family. I, I missed my second son's birth by like 20 minutes, which kind of sucked. But um, yeah. they have a cute scene in, in, in the documentary where like you see me get the FaceTime from the doctor and my wife and and uh, seeing him for the second time. Little redhead, little maniac. Oh, nice. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so, he, he's the man. He's the man, too. He's a nut job, though. But yeah. um, yeah, I got two little boys and it's fantastic. And my life is just, you know, I, I got my first house. You know, which I gotta, you know, just I'm just basically just trying to grind it out and yeah. and um figure out life in a sense, right? Like I'm still slowly just trying to figure out life. It, it you know, you got to be patient in that sense, right? Especially now with like, like I have like this weird path of life, like with all these crimes, and then now I got a documentary out, and I'm like, can I make money off this internet? I don't know what the hell's going on. I know yeah. I, I feel like a boomer, um, uh, when I'm trying to trying to do shit on there. And um, you know, I'm just playing around, just have, have having fun with it, and seeing where it goes. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I I, I appreciate you coming on and being open, and um, you know, just sharing and, and talking a little bit, uh, and you know, especially just with your recovery and stuff too. And um, what I mean, what's uh, what's next for you before we wrap up today? Uh, I know you mentioned a podcast, maybe. I know you've been, um, you know, being featured on a lot of podcasts, uh, and. So are you going to start your own? Do you, do you have any plans moving ahead on, on anything that you want to talk about or plug yeah, or anything? Yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the process of building a podcast studio. Um, but yeah, my book is really my thing. That book has got like every story of, every, you know, everything. And I worked so hard in that book over like the last five years. And uh, I love this book, man. It's, it's a good book. And it's got like all those cool moments throughout time that, that like uh meant a lot to me so that's really what i'm I'm trying to f- finish it up and get it edited and whatnot but I, that'll be out soon too and if if anybody just wants yeah just follow me on my socials at, at rachel panny um and check out the documentary and if you find follow me on my socials you'll see uh, you know pretty much anything i put out book podcast whatever it is good stuff and we'll, we'll put all those links in the show notes so they're easy for you to find um yeah dude th- thanks again for coming on the show share the podcast with a friend please i would love it if you did that you can connect with us on instagram at that sober guy podcast peace love and respect keep your blood clean